But I want you to turn to Psalms chapter 11 and verse 3. Psalm 11 and verse 3. We used this as a text last week talking about the foundation of believers. And the question that is asked in Psalms 11 and verse 3 is, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Is a good question. If things fall apart in your life, if what you're standing on, you begin to wonder if it'll ever work, you begin to doubt, somebody talks you out of believing, shows you another way, gives you a substitute or something, and if what you started out standing on, if it falls apart, what will you have in the end? What will you be able to do in the battles that are yet coming, what will you be able to do then? I hope somewhere in our past, all of us, we saw Jesus as a necessary need in our life. You were brought to a time and a place in your life where you had messed up enough, regardless of your age, you had messed up enough that you became keenly aware that you were a sinner and that the wages of sin is death. And to whatever degree you were convicted, you were really bothered by that. And when Jesus was offered to you as a solution for all of that, you reached out to him. And when you reached out to him, hopefully you were born again, you wanted to be saved, so you turned to him, and you were born again. And then when you were, he became your foundation. He became what God set you on. Psalm 40, he brought me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock. Maybe we should have read that. And the Bible said, he established my goings. See, it's good to be brought out of miry clay. It's good to be released from a life of sin and death. And it's good to be brought to Christ by him, for him to bring you to him and to set you before him on what he has before you to stand on. But then he said he established your goings because you have to go forward. You have to live. You can't just say one day back in some year and some month and some camp meeting or some church meeting, I came to the Lord and I got saved and I'll never forget that day. You shouldn't. But from that day to this very day, God expects you to go, to move forward. But you won't go very far unless the foundation he puts you on goes with you. See, this solid rock that we sing about and this rock that he spoke of in Psalm 40 is in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 11. The Bible says that Jesus is our foundation, but he can't be destroyed. And if you're standing on him, you won't be destroyed either. So to be established in your goings, as the psalmist said, and to have this solid foundation under you, this is how we live. We have no other way to live. Remember Jesus said, learn of me? To the degree that I'm willing to learn about him, to seek him out, to find out what he wants from me, to learn of him, to desire revelations of Jesus and the way I should live in relation to him. That's my foundation. That is what I stand on. 
of when we sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, Christ doesn't mean that much to a lot of people. For a lot of religious people, he is a name. He walked on the water. He rose from the dead. He was born in a manger and so forth. But he's not a living principle in their life. He's not the cause of how I live. A lot of people came to Christ because they wanted to join church. I did when I was 12 years old in the Christian church. It had nothing to do with my need for him. It had nothing to do with my need to be forgiven of my sins. It had nothing to do with it. It was time for me at age 12 to join church. And that's what we did in the Christian church. Now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Because I said last week, the devil comes in order to destroy this foundation you're standing on and make you to fall or to waver or to give up. Remember angels of light in 2 Corinthians 11? There has come into the church angels of life, wolves in what kind of clothing? Sheep's clothing. So they look like sheep. They talk like sheep. And when they're in front of you, they act like sheep. They speak the words that sheep speak. They do the things that sheep ought to do. They have the good appearance. But Jesus said, outwardly, you appear beautiful unto men. But inwardly, he said, you're full of dead men's bones. It's hard for us, especially a lot of you younger folks today. It's hard for us today to call it as you see it because a lot of things are just not politically correct today. If they speak one way and they live another way, they're frauds. Oh, but that's not very nice. Well, of course it's not nice. It's not nice to be a fraud either. It's not nice to be a wolf and take advantage of God's people and mislead with words, mislead people, make you think a way that's wrong, talk you out of your faith, give you substitutes for faith, do things, not believe things, just do things, get busy, do things, do things and do things. And the more we do things and spend our half hour listening to a sermon on Sunday, that will qualify us for eternal glory. And a lot of people are talked into that. So it's no longer establishing your, your goings. You just become a denominational person doing a lot of things. But you're really going nowhere. But you don't know that. Now, those who do know that and they speak out against that, they sound politically incorrect. Big deal. The Bible said when you see a wolf coming, what was a watchman supposed to do? Put a trumpet to his mouth and blow it. Because a trumpet always got people's attention. Whether you're in a cavalry or whether you were in Jerusalem. When the trumpet blew, it had a message. Always. There was always a reason and a message in a trumpet's blowing. And you blow the trumpet and you sound the alarm, as God said, people begin to listen. But if the wolf, if the angels of light, if those who are misleading and distracting and talking people out of their faith, what they're doing is eroding the foundation you should be standing on so that you stand on nothing. And they're in the church, and we have to be careful. Jesus warned us right before he left. He said, beware. Beware of deceptions. Beware of evil workers. He said they're lying in wait. They're just waiting their turn. Remember, he put apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in the church. And he said, then there will be those who will be trying to talk you out of your faith. 
It'll never cease. As long as there is life and long as there is a world, there will be people trying to do that. And the whole effect of what they're doing, the design of the devil, is to talk you out of what you're standing on. See, I can say now that at my age, I can look back to the many years ago when I came to the Lord and started doing what I'm doing of the people that I knew then and the people that I talked to then and, and recognized. And there were meetings all over this section of the country. There were meetings everywhere. And boy, they were firm and strong and theological. I mean, everything was just solid. And yet, most all of those folks, I'm sure they're somewhere but a lot of them are no longer. You think, what happened to your foundation? Well, I don't know. I suspect it was a tragedy, but I don't know. But I know what I'm supposed to stand on. I know what you're supposed to stand on, and that's what we're pursuing. Because if we're not standing on this foundation that God has put us on, we cannot establish our goings, and we can go nowhere. So don't think for a minute growing up in this world, living in this world, that there's not lots of things out there that are designed to talk you out of your faith because it is everywhere. And you have to be cautious. You have to be sober. You have to be circumspect. You have to give heed and take the more earnest heed. You have to pay attention to what you're doing and what you're hearing. And you have to measure what you're hearing because the Bible said take heed what you hear as well as how you hear it. The treasure that God gave you is a precious thing. It can only come from God. And if the devil can talk you out of that, he has won a terrible victory over your life. You look at our parents before us. I can look at mine. Religious people. Religious people. Nothing in their religion affected their attitudes, the way they talked, and the way they treated people. Nothing. It didn't mean a hill of beans. All that church going and church talk and church busyness changed nothing in their lives. Didn't change their parents' lives, their ancestors. Somebody put them to sleep many, many years ago, and they were just sleep on and on. Eyes were open, but they were living dead people. I am grateful for June the 30th, 1968, in my life when God saved me. And for the grace that has come in those years, all through these years, to keep you from looking back or ever yearning to go back to that trash you came out of. Because the more, the longer I live, the better it gets, the more real it gets. And that's the better part. Jesus is everything he said he was. But if somebody can talk you out of that, if somebody can mislead you, if you get weary enough and you start listening to some substitute faith, you'll erode your foundations. You have nothing to stand on in the latter days. Because the question was, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, in Matthew 7, if you're there, in Matthew 7 and verse 15, leading up to verse 24, Jesus begins, and he says, beware of false prophets. We just talked about it. Beware of those whose whole design is to mislead you, to mislead you. He said, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they're wolves. And he said in verse 16, you'll know them eventually. You'll know them by their fruits. Now, that's one thing he said. And then follows that with verse 17. A good tree brings forth good fruit 
but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. Now, it's either or, it's one or the other. And if you're in the middle, you're lukewarm, and so that's the other. So he said, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now, he's talking about you as a tree. You're planted. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. It's a warning. Don't think that you can live your life any way you want to and because you're a member of a church or you go regularly to some place and you're a part of it, that that'll get you there. Because, you see, you have to bear fruit. Something has to come out of you that wasn't there before. When God plants a seed on the inside of you, that's his life. That life has got to shine forth. If it doesn't, you read John 15 and the consequences are dire. And then he says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. I don't care what you can talk about, how well you speak, all the eloquent things that you've heard or that you're able to do. I don't care how much you can boast of where you've been and what you've done and your great accomplishments in life, but Lord, 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 Lord. Jesus said, keep this in mind. This narrows the whole thing down. It's not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it. Because a lot of people are saying, Lord, Lord. A lot of people sing, Lord, Lord. A lot of people talk and witness, Lord, Lord. But he said, not everybody that does that will make it. Now, we've been warned. In verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, look what I've done. Look how many sermons I've preached. Look at all the places I've been. Look at all the money I gave. Lord, Lord. In verse 23, he said, I'll profess to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. We never had, as one commentator says, we never had a true and personal connection out of which I became the Lord and the focus of your life. Yeah, you were busy and you did a lot of things, but you left me out of the equation. You didn't talk to me. You didn't surrender your life to me. The little convictions that you begin to feel, you ignored them and you did this and you did that. You live for yourself, which is iniquity. And he said, you will depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now, verse 24 begins with what word? Therefore. Now, I'm no grammar scholar. Never was, never wanted to be, and still not interested in being. But you don't have to be a scientist to understand this. What he just said is to be taken in light of what he's about to say. Are we okay so far? If he said this, this, and this, and gave you the consequences of these things, and then he turns around and he says, therefore, this is what I want you to know. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will tell you who he is like. Now, his sayings is what our foundation is supposed to be. Would you agree? What he is saying to us, what he has to say to us, whether we want to hear it or not, is the foundation he's given us to build on. There is no other. There is no other way. This is the way. Now, turn to Luke 6. It says basically the same thing, but let's go to Luke 6 because he adds a couple of words here that I want to use. Luke 6. 
and verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Well, basically because our church doesn't do that. Well, our pastor tells us that that's not necessary. That that was good for the time this book was written and for the culture that it was addressed to. But that's not the way he would expect us to do it in this hour. Therefore, we don't do that. If you tell me, well, that doesn't happen, then you're, <laughs> you're not awake because that does happen. People are talked out of just anything that is difficult. Tongues, for example, speaking in tongues. How many people refuse that, reject that because somebody told them it wasn't right? They don't know it's not right. Somebody told them that. Somebody said it was a saying that they heard that they followed and when they begin to follow that, they ruled out of their life something really vital. My mother said to me years ago, years and years ago, because of the way she was brought up, the stories that she had heard and the theology that was formed by experience and not by the word, the belief system that she had. I had come home from a Baptist church that morning, a prayer breakfast. I hadn't been saved, but just long enough to, you know, to be dangerous. Somebody at that prayer breakfast had warned me about a, another fellow there, a Baptist boy, that I probably should stay away from him because I had noted at the prayer meeting that he was lively. He had tracks in his pocket, and he talked about Jesus all the time. And, boy, he was bold. And I, I didn't know who he was, so I asked him, I said, who is that guy? And, and I was told, well, you really need to stay away from him. Now, that's about the way it was told. Well, you know, you really need to stay away from him. Because we'd gone upstairs to pray after, you know, as a prayer breakfast, four or five prayed out of the 40 that ate. We went upstairs to pray, and this guy, you know, I was ready to do my little thank you for the world so sweet, thank you for the food. We, you know, I didn't know how to pray. And this guy here could pray, and like he was talking to God, and you almost want to open your eyes and say, are you in here, God? He's talking to you. Then I was told, you need to stay away from him and avoid him. And they said, why? I said, well, he speaks in tongues. I didn't know what that was. I didn't. All I could think of was, I have a tongue in my mouth. Everybody does. You can't talk without it. Try. You can't. But I knew it was something spiritual, not something natural, but I didn't know what it was. So... I think I said, well, what's, what's that mean? He said, well, I'd rather not get into that. So I knew right away there's something bad about it. So my mother, I went to her. I went over on Monroe Street, came in, and mom, and yeah, what's speaking in tongues? And I remember her looking at me like, where have you been? That's what my preacher said when I asked him when he got back from his vacation. I said, Brother John, how you doing all over, blah, blah, blah. By the way, what do you know about speaking in tongues? And he looked at me the same way, and I thought, no, something's really, really wrong here. <laughs> but now you see, that is such a commonplace thing in my life. Happened years ago, and I got over through it and around it and in it, and it's every day now, every day. But look at how many people have been talked out of that. How do you build up yourself on your most holy faith unless you can pray in the Holy Ghost? How can you do that? Most people don't even know there's a Holy Ghost like Acts 19. 
You know, as far as they know, when they got saved, everything happened at the one time and I got it all and it's just there and there's nothing more to that. That's not the way it works. In Acts chapter 8, do you remember Philip preached that great revival? When the disciples at Jerusalem heard about it, that they had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who, having come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. That's the only reason they went to the revival was that so the people there who had received the word and were glad and excited that they might also receive the Holy Ghost. Well, most people would never teach that that way because that would upset people because we're so fixed on what is not right. And to preach that way is to be a troublemaker a legalistic, dogmatic, conservative troublemaker. Might as well add right wing to that because they're doing that today too. But you see, if my foundation is not built the way it should be, but it's built on what I've been told by other people that isn't right, I have no foundation. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I have no standard. I'm going to fall with him. Just like I've watched them all the time. They just keep falling, and they fall, and they shouldn't fall. But he said in Luke chapter 6, in verse 46 through 49, he said, Why do you call me Lord? And whoever comes to me, in verse 47, hears my sayings and doeth them, I'll tell you what he's like. It's all about how you hear and how you heed the word of God. It's all about that. That is your foundation. He said, he's like a man who built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation upon a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and it could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man who without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of his house was great. Now, there's three things I want to talk about this morning. Three things in verse 47. Nothing's new here. It's not some new revelation this morning, but a reminding us that unless these three ingredients are the makeup of our foundation, we don't have one. What was that verse in Ezekiel 22 last week? The people had been put together with what kind of mortar? Hey, you got it, untempered mortar. Whatever ingredients go into that have to be of such a mix that it hardens properly and holds fast whatever it's gripping. And in that illustration, God accused the leaders in the day that he judges people. He said, you have put these people together with untempered mortar. It won't hold up. It looks like it's good. It spreads like it's good. It looks the same as good mortar, but when the stuff dries and gets hot or when the heat comes, it'll crumble and fall, and the weight of that, it'll just fall. It'll be a great collapse. He's talking about lives. Those are words that God uses to talk about why people don't stand, why they fall apart, why they cave into their emotions or prognostications of the news people about this is coming and that's coming. 
They can't stand. They have nothing that they can turn to besides themselves. They've been talked out of everything that God gave us to overcome. They've been talked out of it. They can't overcome. No wonder churches are one of the biggest sponsors of hospitals. They've talked themselves out of the message of divine healing. Now they preach divine sickness. That God doesn't want to heal everybody. That's why he gave us to have this hospital. That's trash. That's not true. You got all these major denominations with all of these hospitals because they turned away from what God promised many years ago. And who's heard of a, except for a few cases of missionaries who go anywhere without medicine? It's like we've left out one of the very basic things that every human being is, is so concerned about today is health and safety. Perilous times have come. Men's lives are in peril. There's a fear of this and a fear of that. People are getting killed on the streets and shot and, and run over and blown up. Not by people who know them so much. It's just religion, terrorist. It's perilous times. People are afraid. And you read in the Bible, no evil shall befall you. No plague will come now your dwelling. And then somebody says, yeah, well, but that's not what that means. Well, what does it mean? It means what it says. And the reason we don't stand on that is because we don't believe that'll work. But somebody said we ought to stand on this like everybody else does. And so we turn away our ears from the truth and we turn aside to fables and we put our trust in man instead of God. And we are offended. I've been to these places. People are offended when you tell them the truth. That you can trust in God and he will heal you. He'll give you health. He'll turn your life around and make your body well. Oh, how dare you say that? It's almost like they want you to say, you know, we're never going to be well. We all need insurance because every one of us is going to die in a hospital. Every one of us. There's just not much we can do about it. And you know what they base it on? Everybody they've ever known did that. Nobody ever told them from the pulpit it doesn't have to be like that. They just learned to believe that because everybody gravitated to that kind of theology. Well, you know, how about miracles today? Well, when have you ever seen an eyeball here? When have you ever seen a tooth replaced? When have you ever, when have you ever, when have you, how long has it been? And this weariness sets in in the last days. I can see why maybe God has hit the pause button in the last days for his disciples. You're going to find out if you're walking this way because others are or because you believe. Because there are those who do believe and there are those who just want to be a part of a system. But Jesus said, you can tell what kind of a tree it is by the kind of fruit that comes out of it. Now, we're blessed. We're blessed not because of anything about us worthy of being blessed. Certainly not our surroundings here. But I am personally blessed because out of all the people that God could have blessed, he let me be blessed. I assume he brought you here and he's letting you get blessed. 
with an opportunity to find out for yourself if what you're hearing is true. Because most people don't even know if it's true or not and don't care, but you should. And you don't want to believe what you hear in this room from me because I said it, because I said it, you know, barking and carrying on. You believe it because you see it in the Word and God convicts you in your heart that that's the truth. It's not true because Hamilton said it. It's true because God said it. See, that's the foundation. Any foundation built on a man will fall. When you've got all your hopes and dreams in somebody else's faith, when that person's gone, you'll go with them. But if your faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, you'll stand. And though none go with me still, as the song said, I will follow. Now notice in verse 47, there are three things that I'm going to say, the three basic ingredients of a tempered mortar. That's not the title, but that would be a good subtitle. The basic ingredients of tempered mortar, that is things that will make you sure that you're not going to fall. Number one, basic and fundamental is cometh. He that cometh to Jesus. You don't come to the church. You don't come to a denominational system that all your ancestors went to. Christ may not even be there. They may talk about him and sing about him and have banners with his name on it, but he may not in reality be there. Now we want him to be there. Because where two or more gather together in his name, he is there. You know, the Laodicean church had need of what? Had need of nothing. They'd done well. They had a good system. It was thriving and flourishing. Look at us. Look what we've done. And Jesus said, you're naked, you're wretched, you're miserable, and you're blind. Because you've left out of your life the glorification of Jesus Christ. You're all puffed up in yourself and not him. And therefore, anybody who is that way, if he's miserable, wretched, and blind, and naked, and all that, then he has no foundation. So we come to Jesus. We don't come to some man. We don't come to some system. We come to Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did he come to you? Among several verses you could use. Let me give you one. John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, the thief cometh but for to kill, to steal, and destroy it. Now, why then in that same sentence, pointing out what the devil does, what did Jesus say he came to do? He said, but I have come that you might have life. So then, I come to Jesus also because I want life. Oh, I'm living and breathing biologically. I have air and I will see and think and do and go and live and sleep and rise. And I mean, I do all the natural things, but I'm talking about a different kind of life that I can have while I'm living a biological life. There is another word for life, zoe. There is a divine life that is imparted to me, a life which changes everything else in this life, everything about me. I still live and eat and have blood in my veins, but there is something in me that has given me a new purpose and reason to live. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, there's nobody else that can give you life but Jesus. 
There's life in no other source, no other person, no other religion. No other fabrication of man in Christianity. Nobody can give you life by any system, by any little doctrines, creeds, or duties or things. Nobody can except Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There's no other life. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Acts 28, I think it's verse 17, it writes, for in him, that's Christ, for in him we live and we move and we have our existence. Whatever we are, whoever we are, if this is going to be worth anything, it'll have to be because Christ is in charge of it and it has to be like that all the way to the end. But in him we live. In him we move, and in him we have our being, who we are, what we're doing. Our existence is in him. At the tomb of Lazarus, when Lazarus had died, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There is no life outside of Christ. There's not enough duties and things to do. There's not enough goodness in man to merit life. Life is a gift. It can be given only by Jesus Christ, only to those who believe. Not everybody that confesses him, certainly not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, they don't have it. Some do. Some do. I don't know of all that mass out there saying, Lord, Lord, which ones do, but somebody does. I believe I do. I hope you believe you do. But you'll know a tree by its fruits. The way you live will detect whether or not the life you're living is because of the force of a life given to you. The divine nature, we call it. God in you. Just like God was in Christ, God is in you doing a work both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Either he is or he isn't. But if he is, it'll be evident by the cause of the fruit. The way you're living now the way you talk now, the way you're thinking now. That's why you don't fall when the heat comes because Christ supports that. A righteous man may fall, but he'll rise again. So that's just the way that works. In Psalm 66 and verse 9, he speaks of God holding our soul in life. An interesting thought. God holds our souls in life. Another translator said, who places our souls in life. It's God's way of saying that when you're willing to live my way and do my will, I will preserve you and keep you alive. Now, I want that. I want that more than anything. Because I'll tell you what, there is no institution of man, no insurance system there is not a thing that man can do to guarantee you health and life. None. And I don't care how many organic vegetables you eat. That doesn't mean you have life. That means you found a way to, as far as you know, to prolong your life because surely this will help. 
But spiritually is what we're talking about. I don't care what you do and how you eat, what you dress and where you go and what kind of music you dance to. The only source for life is Jesus. There is no other. And what was it he said in Isaiah 49? He said, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. Let me show you something. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 29. Now, just briefly, you know the story of Abigail. How many of y'all heard of Abigail? I mean, the biblical Abigail. <laughs> Abigail was the wife of a man named Nabal, who was a churlish man, a not very nice man. He was called a son of Belial. He was a bad guy. But she was married to him. He was a very rich man, very wealthy man. And David and his troops, his many thousand people, they were in his area once, but they wouldn't take anything that was his. But when David's men got hungry, he sent his men down there to say, you know, we've been around you. We've actually been protecting you. We haven't taken a thing from you. Our men would like to have something to eat because you supply us with some food. And they said, David sent me the son of Jesse. And he said, who is David and who is Jesse? said, everybody has a daddy and everybody leaves home sometime, I guess. So David said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm strapping my sword on this time and I'm personally going to go down there and, and kill the man. And then here came Abigail, Nabal's wife. And she came to him and she fell down before him in more eloquent words than somebody in this pulpit is going to use. Gracious and eloquent words. She said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Forgive him. Don't be angry about this. And so David said, okay. And he appreciated what Abigail said because her heart was poured out. She knew she and all her kids and everything they owned, a whole bunch is about to die. Well, that night, Nabal threw a feast, and several days later, he died. And then David took Abigail, Nabal's wife, to be his wife. Now, here's what she said in her conversation with him in verse 29. He said, yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be, notice this, bound in the bundle of life. Put me in there with him. I don't care, David, who's pursuing you. Shelbyville, I don't care what they're saying about who's pursuing you or about what evil is lurking in some future darkness. If as Abigail said about David, and I believe it's true because it's inspired. If this is true of us, that we are bound in the bundle. I read that and I thought, oh, I love that. Bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thy enemies shall be like those slung out of a slingshot. They'll come at you one way, they'll flee ten ways. They'll try this and they'll fail every time they try because no weapon formed against you shall prosper, for greater is he that is in you and with you than they that are in the world who want to eliminate you. God will keep you and protect you because this is part of the package of life that you get from God, that you are bound in the bundle of life. Let me read another translation. He said, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord. Who I like that. 
I had no response, but I like it myself. He said, you should be bound in the bundle of the living who are in the care of the Lord. That's life. That's abundant life. That's abundant life. That's good. That's just what God has offered me coming out of darkness and coming to him. And the more I learn about him, I come to verses like this. I realize this. I say, Lord, make me to know what that means. I don't want to get that wrong because I really like what you're saying here. I don't want to be afraid of who's saying what or what's coming or what they say on the news and what I read. I don't want to be afraid of anything. Like the psalmist said, I want to be delivered from all my fears, so I fear nothing. Not arrogant and cocky and tough. I just don't want to be afraid. Lord, let me understand what this means. And boy, the more the Holy Spirit confirms that, the more you feel your feet just getting deeper and deeper and rooted down in there. And like I said, Isaiah 49, verse 16, he says, I have graven thee on the palms of my hands. Now, this is fellowship, to say the least. These are people that Jesus knows. Remember, he said, I don't know you, but he he knows these. That bundle that he's got of his own that are under his care, he knows them. You can't get in there because you did a lot of things. You get in there because he brought you in out of that miry clay and he put you in his bundle. You're all bundled up in the care of the Lord. No wonder David wrote, whom should I fear and of what should I be afraid? If God be for me, who can be against me? But you know what? Those are just words unless they're real, unless that is really the meaningful functioning thing in your life, those are just words. They don't mean anything. Second thing, and go back to Luke 6 now, verse 47, heareth. It's one thing to come. It's another thing to hear. I can speak from experience in my past. I went to church every week because I, I had to. Later on, it was a socially good thing to do. It's a proper thing to do to go to church, to let yourself be seen in church. People will say that. Yeah, he goes to church. He's a good church boy. But I don't remember what was said because I didn't go to listen. I didn't go to hear. Occasionally, you would hear the preacher tell a story, and you got interested in that because somehow that was personal. But all this other stuff this was just a sermon, just a hard sermon, a paid-for sermon. It didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything to me. I never listened to it. Now, my basketball coach in those earlier years in my life had been talking, I would have listened. Or if some hero of mine was giving some speech, I guarantee I'd listen. I wanted to know what I was interested in, and I wasn't interested in the Lord. I hope all of you are. I hope all of you are. Because if there's no earnest interest in the Lord, you will hear words, but you won't hear words, if you know what I mean. You'll listen to what is said, but you won't hear anything. Paul said they're ever learning, but never able to come 
to the knowledge of the truth. Their life is not affected by what they're hearing because it's not a vital thing in their life. It's not a need. It's not something that they've got to have. See, the word here is a commonly used Greek word, akuo. It's just a word that simply means to hear with attention. It's a word which means to hear with attention with the intention of learning what is said or understanding. You don't understand what you've heard just because you've heard it. Usually you have to spend time meditation or in contemplation or thinking about what you've heard. So many people have heard clearly the voice of God, not so much audibly, but they have got this witness in their heart about what is right because they just stopped what they were doing, got alone and started thinking about what they heard, what they heard, what they heard. And they begin to thinking about, is that really right? I don't know anybody believes like that. So you stop, you take time, you begin to look. See, now you're listening. You're about to get a revelation from God which is going to strengthen your staying in the Lord because there's this earnest seeking and learning about what God has said. But so many people don't. But when you strive to learn and you want to learn, and I remember in the old days, people used to get to church at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning to get a seat. Now, not here, another place. We've never had a problem with finding seats here. I remember years ago at a place called the Glory Bar, and people used to get in the parking lot. In fact, one morning I'd spoken somewhere in the country up in that part of the world, and we drove that night to get there for a service in the morning. We got to the parking lot. It's still dark. There were cars everywhere. Motor running is off. They haven't opened the building yet, and everybody's in the car just smiling you know, fogged over to go to church, to go to church. No invitations were sent out to come. Nobody was begging them to come. No visits from the hierarchy. They just came. You get the taste of peace and victory in your life. And this promise that you can be like what the Bible says you can be, that means you can be delivered from all this junk that people are going through in this world. Well, if you get that, you get a taste that in your mouth, you want more of it. And you don't want to sit in the back. Now, I don't mean anything by that here because we're not that far from the back. But if you're in a big building where the back is the back, then some people say, I want to get in the front row. And they got there early. I had to sit behind a pole when I was there. But that was okay. I didn't mind that. I, did, I really didn't mind that at all for good reasons but, or bad reasons, but I didn't mind sitting behind a pole. <laughs> that was a long time ago, but I've never forgotten that that how can people hunger and thirst for the word that much? Because the word they heard was not a jumping up and down, exciting scream and throw your Bibles in the air and take off running word. It was instruction. People who had never been instructed came out of villages and cities and farmhouses from other states and all. They just began to come to hear something they had never heard before. The word of God without compromise. Nothing watered down. Everything is like it says, and uh, you say it as lovingly as you can, but you got to make a point, and people heard it, and they kept coming. They kept coming. They had no fancy th programs to have a greater meeting. 
You know, some churches have to devise campaigns to get more members to come. All they did was make a loft in a barn, a sanctuary, and they couldn't keep people out of it. I mean, just put up bunches. I don't see it like that today. Either people have gotten so much of it they don't need any more, or there's nobody inspired or anointed anymore. But I can say this. I don't care who the preacher is and how gifted, ungifted, how clever or how crude he is, his ability to release any anointing that God gave him largely depends on the people who come in here. For if they don't want to hear it, it won't come out. If they do want to hear it, it will come out. And when you got anointed hearts and anointed ears, somebody's going to be praying, God, teach me thy way. Show me the word. Lord, open my eyes and my ears. And the preacher's going to say it. That's why you have these long meetings sometimes. Would you turn to Acts 28? Acts chapter 28 and verse 26 and 27. This is just one place this is quoted, but this is quoted, I think, four different times in Scripture, beginning in Isaiah. Isaiah 28 and verse 26, saying, Go unto this people and say, those that were assembled, Hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. You won't get it. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Let me ask you a question. When you get it, when you understand it and perceive it, when you want it bad enough that you're willing to listen with intensity and it comes in, what comes in with it? You shall be what? At the end of that verse, converted? If they heard with their ears and they could see with their eyes what I'm saying and what I'm revealing to them, he said, then they would be converted. Is that a natural response to those who faith comes, uh, um, yeah, yeah, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word? Is it true then that when you're hearing the word and God gives you faith and it pops in your heart that you come and you receive what it offers? Converted? Turned around? Your life shall be turned around, and you'll be healed. Well, that only means healing of your... Well, let me tell you, if sin is a sickness, it does heal that. But he also heals diseases and brings health to families and delivers us from stuff. But not everybody hears that. Have you ever gone home and heard something go, well... I don't know about that. There's one way you can know about that. You can go home and you can take what you've heard and check it out and see if it's in the Bible. Test it. Put it to the test. See if it's true. Did you know that some are so determined just to be religious that they cannot hear the word? They can't. See, this is a spiritual thing we're talking about. It's not a natural thing. It's just not, well, if you want it, go get it. Uh, there's something spiritual. You can't get it unless God gives it. Turn to John 8. John chapter 8 and verse 43. 
But why do you not understand my speech or perceive and understand? Why do you not perceive my speech? Now notice what he said, because, even because, you cannot hear my word. Now you mean they can't hear what his word? They can hear the sound of his words, can't they? They can hear the pronunciation of his words. They hear it, but they can't understand it. It doesn't mean anything to them. It might as well be garbled uh, rock music. Doesn't mean anything. Jesus said, you cannot hear my word. Why? Verse 44 said, you're of your father, the devil. Look at verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Let me ask you all the question. Are you of God? Are you? Are you of God? Well, there's a way to tell. Amen. That's what it said. Jesus said about his sheep in this same book in John chapter 10 and verse 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's the way you know. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now, is it true there are lots of religious people who hear his voice, but don't do it that way. Don't follow him. I would suggest to you that there are far more who don't do what he wants than those that do. But the reason you do what you should do is not because somebody told you that you ought to, or that's the way we do things here. You do it because you're a sheep. You're not a goat. You're not a tear. You're where the wheat is. They grow together. Sheep and goats in the same pen. Wheat and tares in the same garden. They're growing together. But he said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And you know what he said in verse 28? And I give them what? I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. I align myself with that Calvinist doctrine. You know the word tulip, T-U-L-I-P? As an acrostic, it tells you the five basic points of Calvinism. It begins with total depravity and it ends in P with perseverance of the saints. And perseverance of the saints mean that the saints persevere because God causes it. I believe that because I am not able in and of myself, my mind is not able to do anything the way it ought to be done without God. And every day, like the song says, I need thee every hour I need thee because I am poor in spirit. I am never a person who's got so much word that I don't need anymore. I've heard so much of God, he doesn't need to speak to me anymore. I've been to so many meetings, I don't need to go anymore. I've read so much scripture, I don't need to read anymore. I grieve, I do. I think about situations where people I used to know that were really on fire. It was a delight to sit down and talk with them because all you talked about was the word of God. And now that business, money, terrorists, the world system, they hardly mention Jesus. You think, what in the world has happened to people? Have they been under attack of the enemy and didn't know it and they've been talked out of their faith? 
They're beginning to waver. Now they're running this way to get some help where they would never run that way. Years they would have died, but not today. What's happened to people? You suppose that maybe one of the reasons that God sent the Holy Spirit was so you could hear? You suppose that perhaps one of the major reasons that Jesus said, if I go not, the Holy Spirit will not come. When he has come, he will guide you into all the truth. You suppose that maybe one of the major reasons for the Spirit's coming is so you can hear, right? John 16, look at verse 12. I have many more things to say to you. Let me ask you a question because we're almost done. If he's got something to say, do I have a need to hear something? If he's got more to say, I need to hear it. I don't care how much I have heard, I need to hear it. But here's what he said. I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear it now. If I said it, you wouldn't get it. Because it can only come with revelation when you understand it. Scholastic, academic efforts will not give you understanding. They will puffeth upeth. But they don't give you understanding. Only divine grace. The illumination of the mind by the Holy God. That God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That's the only way you get this. He said, I have many more things to say, but you can't bear it. How be it, look at verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, in effect, he will open your ears and you will hear what God is saying. You will, as he said in verse 13, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all the truth. He shall not speak of himself, but what he hears, he shall speak. He'll show you things to come. So that showing you things to come, you're not going to be caught unawares, are you? You're going to be ready for it gets here. Not everybody will be. You will be. Most people will fall apart because they're not standing on a firm foundation. And the sayings of Jesus are the firm foundation. Luke 6, 47, finally. And this one deserves 14 hours. I've spoken about this myself for 40 years being doers of the word and not hearers only because I don't care where you go, I don't care what you hear, if you don't do it, it's nothing. Unless you're a doer of the word, you are nothing. You can pride yourself on how much you've memorized, how many notebooks of notes you have, how many tapes, CDs, reel to reels if you're that old you've listened to. You can talk about all those things you want to, but if you don't live it, if you're not a doer, you have nothing. You have nothing. You have religion. You have all of that kind of stuff, but you don't have anything. This is the proof. This is the way the fruit is born. It's by being doers of this word and not hearers only. Doeth is a way of saying faithful. It's not the same Greek, none of that. Being a doer of the word means somebody who is faithful to God. When God says it, they're willing to do it. As we said recently, their hand is on the plow, not because it feels good and looks good, because sometimes it's pretty tough. Their hand is on the plow because they don't want to do anything else. I want to stay true to God.
And if I die doing this, then I'll die doing this, but I want to stay true to God. I don't want to look back. I don't want to turn back. I want to stay true to my Lord. It's not the hearers of the law, Romans said. It's not the hearers of the law that are just before God, but the doers shall be justified. That's what the book of James chapter 2 is all about. Many, many, many people in the days of canon of the Bible was formed. That is what books would be in what we call the Bible and what books were excluded. When the canon of the Bible was formed, there was a great debate over the book of James. No doubt because of chapter 2. Because it sounded like that there was more to salvation than just holding your hand. He said faith without works, faith without doing what he said is a dead faith. Any religion that just talks about Jesus but doesn't live it as he said it is a dead religion. It's a dead church. Dead people. Anybody can preach a sermon. Anybody. It may not be good. But anybody can. If you can stand here and hold yourself together for 10 seconds and say something about Jesus, you preach a sermon. But it doesn't mean you live it. You don't even know if I live what I preach or not. You may it to a degree, but you're not around me. She would. My kids used to. They're not around me anymore either. Not that much. God knows. God sees the human heart. God knows our hearts. He knows our weaknesses, our frailties. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. Blessed are they that do. It's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but they who do. It's not those who can quote the Bible, but it's those who live the Bible. It's doers. This is our testimony to the world, that what we say that they don't really like to hear, we live it. And the first time you don't live it exactly, they notice it because they're all little policemen. They all know it. Well, this is our foundation, folks. This is what we stand on. And what happens to those that back in Luke again, what happened to those in that 49th verse? What about all of those who refuse to come to Christ? Those who refuse to listen to what he's saying, those who refuse to do what he said, those that have a form of godliness but deny the power of it and so forth. What do you say happens in verse 49 of Luke chapter 6? He said, well, they are without a what? Does Luke 6, 49 in your Bible say they are without a foundation? See the story. He that comes to Jesus to hear what he has to say. I need you, but I also need to know what you have to say. But the only evidence that you have of my heart is what I do after I hear it. If I turn to say, I'm going to live like that, then I'm showing you that I'm going to keep your commandments. But he said, if you don't do that, you're like a man building whatever you're building without a foundation. And the picture is that when trouble comes in your life, he said that. When trouble and difficulty comes, you got no foundation. Your religion can't save you. My daddy was a Catholic his whole life. And when he came to the end of his life, as I've said before, he had nothing. Fear, uncertainty, doubt. This is what he gave himself to to get for 50 or 60 years of his life. Nothing. But lest we think we're something, if we're not willing to be a doer of his word, 
We're not willing to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us in these simple, basic, fundamental little truths here. Come, hear, and do. It can't be more simple than this. It's as simple as that. The simplicity that is in Christ is come, hear, and do. And on the basis of this, the arms of heaven are open to you for eternal life, or the voice says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now, the choice we get to make. Will I come? Will I hear? Will I do that? I'm going to get fired from my job. I'm going to have trouble at home if I do that. I'm going to be totally misunderstood if I do that. And Jesus said, yes, and more than that, you will be hated by the whole world. You and Israel. So the choice is ours. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, grant us the courage, Lord, this morning to go back to those simple verses there in the Sermon on the Mount of digging deep, laying a foundation, standing fast when trouble comes. Make us willing to live that way. This is a brief life that we have. It's like a vapor of smoke. Give us wisdom in this hour to take advantage of the opportunities that we have especially us, to be what you want us to be. There are many in this room, Lord, who are facing difficult times even as I speak, whether they be mental things or maybe physical things or maybe concerns and cares for other things. But I pray, Lord, in every situation they will look to your word and find their solution there and know that they've been well grounded in what will work. They'll stand upright, hold the word of God fast to their hearts, and you'll cause them to triumph daily because you have made them the bundle of life. Bless this to your people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.